In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text is the Gospel reading, which you've already heard. On Gauditin, as I've already said, the Church bids us rejoice in the midst of our Advent fast. But what Tom Petty says is also true. The waiting is the hardest part. John waited in prison to see if Jesus really is the one who is to come, or if there was another. This week, I too have spent some time waiting, waiting for my flu to subside. All of us seem to be waiting on something. Some of the things that we wait for are good, like what's waiting to see under the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, whenever you open your presents at home, or waiting for that last day of school to roll around. Some of the things that we wait for are tinged with fear. What will the doctor say when my tests finally come back? What's going to happen with this economy? Well, John today gives us the right idea. He teaches us exactly where to look, and that is to look to Jesus. But his question is a rather big question. Given the fact that John is literally written about in the Old Testament, and all of the circumstances surrounding his birth, and the fact that he was the one who was given the task to baptize Jesus and appointed as the eyewitness of the Holy Spirit's anointing of the Christ, that he would be the one to reveal Jesus to Israel, one might think that John would be at least a little bit immune to some of the sorts of troubles that you would encounter in a fallen world. But instead, he finds himself in prison, even more so on death row, awaiting execution at the hands of of the fickle king Herod. So he asks the big question of Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? Are you really the Christ? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the long ago promised savior or is all of this just another false start? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for that you're looking at your faith and you're looking at your Jesus and all of this has you wondering, is this Jesus? Is this really the one to put our trust in or not? What gives you pause when you're all alone to say, is this church stuff really real? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus does something for John that we shouldn't pass by. With these words, Jesus points John to the miracles that he has been doing during his earthly ministry. 
which then ought to remind us of the point of the miracles that we find in the scriptures. The scriptures are written for our instruction to teach us who Jesus is and what we should believe about him as our Savior. John writes this in his gospel about miracles specifically, though. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The Holy Spirit preserved the miracles of Jesus in the text of the scripture as a means by which you and I would be strengthened in our faith in Jesus Christ for the express purpose that he would then also turn and give us eternal life through that same faith that grasps on to the work of Jesus. As St. Paul says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But it's more than that, too. What Jesus says about the poor having good news, that is, the gospel being preached to them in his report back to John, it seems like he's now turning to cite for us the scriptures, especially Isaiah chapter 61, which says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Did you catch that? After saying that the Messiah would bring good news, the gospel, to the poor, it says that he will bind up the brokenhearted, that he will proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison. To those who are bound. The gospel preaching is to lead to the opening of prisons, but Jesus, he doesn't quote that part to John. So what gives? Jesus wants John to remember that his hope is not in an earthly Messiah that has come simply to right the wrongs of this mortal life. St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that if we have hope in Christ in this life only, in this mortal life only, we are above all people most to be pitied. That is, if our hope in Jesus is that he will make the bad things of this life simply go away like a child playing whack-a-mole every time one pops its head up, we kind of have a poor Savior. Jesus is not the kind of Savior who has come just to prolong the good things of this world. In other words, if we look to Jesus to cure cancer as our ultimate good, well, even in that, we've missed the point entirely. Jesus did not come to put band-aids on our scraped knees so that we can go back to running around on the playground. 
Jesus has come that we would have everlasting life in him, with him, in his kingdom. He wants us to be sober-minded about the world that we live in, which is probably more true for us than it was even for John. For the most part, we have it so good in our world today as compared to ages past. You think about the fact that we have running water in our homes and we have antibiotics. But we're so comfortable and so wealthy that it's easy for the devil to delude us into thinking life in eternity will be nothing short of boring. That's why we hear so many songs on country radio that say things like, We all want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go tonight. When we barely suffer at all in this life, our appetites for eternity are dulled. But the people that went out to see John were not drawn out in the wilderness to see a king arrayed in earthly splendor. They went out to see the one who came to announce the kingdom of heaven and its arrival in Jesus. You, dear saints, are here to do the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is not an earthly kingdom, but it is one that is hidden under earthly means of bread and wine and word and water. You have come to the place where heaven comes down in the midst of our waiting, in the midst of our suffering, to show us that the suffering of this life is not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed when Christ comes at last to set the captives free. St. Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. It was said of John by the prophet Isaiah, quoted by Jesus at the end of our gospel reading, that he was the messenger sent to prepare the way before the Savior. We know that John's destination was not to earthly glory, but was to an ignoble death in a prison cell in the house of Herod. He prepared the way of the Messiah, who did not inherit an earthly kingdom full of earthly glory, but came that he might ascend the cross in order that he might open the way of paradise for all of us. People loved by God, John's suffering has now been transformed into glory, and the same Christ who promised that it would be so for John has promised it to you in your baptism, and he has also guaranteed it by his blood, which we are about to drink, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And so we wait. And waiting is the hardest part. But what the prophet Isaiah says is also true. It will be said, 
on that day. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.